Welcome everybody. This is our third uh, time this semester in the book of Genesis. And uh, have you all been enjoying Genesis so far? Yes. Actually, a lot of you all are in Bible studies that are covering the book of Genesis. And this uh, meeting tonight, it just uh, dovetails into what that Bible study has been covering. Um, so, does everybody have an outline? We've got an outline. Uh, if you don't have one, there's more in the back. Just raise your hand and Rodney can get some. All right, let's take a look at the title. <clears throat> let's read the title together. Genesis chapter 1, a picture of the believer's growth and development in the divine life. Okay, what is Genesis chapter 1? Well, uh, Roman numeral 1 here, it says, As a record of creation, because many people consider it a record of creation, but as a record of creation, Genesis chapter 1 is far too simple and too brief and may or may not line up with one's particular scientific considerations. Uh, What do I mean by this? Well, let me just show you uh, Genesis chapter 1. This is Genesis chapter 1. Actually, it includes the first two verses of chapter 2. But these are the so-called seven days of creation, or six days of creation, and then God rested on the seventh day, right? So in 12-point font, it all fits on a single page. And uh, the, uh, the point that our brother, uh, our faculty advisor, Ken Diller, shared last week is that the Bible is not a science book. It's not a science textbook. Uh, you know, one of these verses, for example... Uh, verse 11, it says, God said, let the earth sprout grass, herbs yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit according to their kind, with their seed in them upon the earth. And it was so. A single verse to describe uh, the plant life. Okay, I brought a book. I was considering to bring a whole stack of books tonight. <laughs> Uh, this is one book. Uh, Saul, can you read the title of this book? Manual of the Vascular Plants of Texas. This is a manual of the vascular plants of Texas. It's almost 2,000 pages long. It's very small print. And uh, there's just a few sentences written about every species that's known to exist in the state of Texas. And that's just one book. One state out of 50 states in one country out of 200 and some countries. describing the plants and even just the vascular plants in the state of Texas. Okay? Can, can this one verse even begin to compare? Uh, I was going to bring some other books here. My plant morphology book, my plant anatomy book, my plant physiology book, uh, my environmental science book. You know, Genesis chapter 1 doesn't tell us anything about the interactions of all the different species. It doesn't tell us or describe all these various species on the earth. Uh, it doesn't talk about the different kinds of rocks and minerals and so forth. Uh, in God's creation. There's so many things. You know, Austin here could bring up several textbooks probably on uh, geology. (laughs) The point we're making here is that this is far too short. It's too brief. It's too simple to be considered a record of creation. Uh, So we want to consider tonight, what is it? Okay, what is this chapter? 
And of course, the title of our message tonight gives you a clue, (laughs) right? It's a picture of the believer's growth and development in the divine life. And we want to see this tonight. Uh, I started with a couple quotes here under Roman number one. The first quote comes from a famous Christian in church history, St. Augustine. He lived around the 4th century A.D. And 1,600 years ago, as he was expounding on the book of Genesis, here's what he said. Uh, he said, it matter, In matters that are so obscure and far beyond our vision, we find in Holy Scripture passages which can be interpreted in very different ways without prejudice to the faith we have received. In such cases, we should not rush in headlong and so firmly take our stand on one side that if further progress in the truth or the search for the truth justly undermines this position, we too fall with it. Well, this has been the case in church history. Uh, People uh, rush in headlong and take their stand so firmly, uh, considering Genesis chapter 1 to be a record of creation and what they find in science, it doesn't seem to fit in to uh, that verse. Uh, And so they would rather throw away the science textbook rather than consider Genesis 1 in the context of the whole Bible. Uh, So St. Augustine, who was... uh, Uh, Very well received. His writings are uh, very much enjoyed by Christians and theologians throughout the centuries. Uh, He's giving a warning to Christians. Uh, When you come to things that are obscure and far beyond our vision. um, And I like that he mentions here... um, They can be interpreted in very different ways without prejudice to the faith we have received. Last week, our brother Ken Diller mentioned that the thing that we contend for as Christians is the faith. It's the common faith. And what is the faith? Uh, What are the items that we as Christians believe in that we contend for? Well, it's mainly the things concerning Christ and his work. The person and work of Christ. We believe that there's one God, that this God is triune, that God uh, became a man. He was incarnated. Jesus Christ is God. He lived a perfect human life. He died for our sins uh, on the cross. He was buried. He resurrected on the third day, becoming the life-giving spirit. He ascended to the throne in the heavens and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he was outpoured as a spirit upon all flesh. So today, whoever repents and believes, receives him, is born of God, regenerated, right? This is the faith. These are the items that we believe as Christians and Jude, one of the writers of the New Testament, he tells us in verse 3 of his letter that we should contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There's no mention that we should contend for how old the earth is uh, or whether or not creation took place in six, six literal days or whether the dinosaurs were on Noah's Ark or whatever Christians feel they need to contend for. Uh, you can believe what you want to believe in that realm. Uh, the Bible is not a science book. Uh, so um, this is St. Augustine's warning to the Christians. Uh, contend for the faith and concerning other things, be cautious. Okay, now Stephen Jay Gould, I put a quote here from him. Uh, he has a warning to the atheist 
Who was Stephen Jay Gould? Well, he was a famous uh, uh, Harvard professor, a paleontologist, who wrote many books and many scientific papers on evolution. Uh, Fairly recently, uh, in fact, I think within the last decade, he passed away. Um, But anyways, he was a champion of evolution. He was not a believer in God. But look what he wrote here in Scientific American 1992. To say it for all my colleagues and for the umpteenth millionth time, science simply cannot, by its legitimate methods, adjudicate the issue of God's possible superintendence of nature. We, we neither affirm nor deny it. We simply can't comment on it as scientists. Well, Stephen Jay Gould was very candid, and he was very uh, honest as a scientist. Um, And if you remember from last week, our brother shared that science uh, deals with things in the realm of process, how things work. It answers the questions of how. But the Bible uh, is in another realm. It talks about the purpose of things, right? Uh, It answers the questions concerning why. Why are things the way they are? Why did God make man? And so forth. That's what the Bible is all about. So, uh, So because of that, there is and there should be a harmony between science and the Bible. Okay, so this is just a brief recap. From last week. Now, let's consider tonight what is Genesis chapter 1. Let's all read Roman numeral 2 together. Go. Colossians chapter 1 indicates that Christ is related to creation in a subjective way. He did not create the universe merely in an objective way as an objective creator. He's related to creation in a subjective way. He didn't just stand back and say, voila, and there it was, and he's apart from it. But let's read Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Let's read these verses all together. Because in him all things were created, in the heavens and on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or lordships or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and unto him, and he is before all things, and all things cohere in him. Okay, I just want you to consider these phrases here. In him, all things were created, right? Creation came into being in Christ. And then it says, all things have been created through him. And all things have been created unto him. And all things cohere cohere in him. They're being held together in him. All these phrases indicate to us that Christ is related to creation in a subjective way. And so what does that mean for us? It means that we need to experience Christ. We need to see the experience of Christ in Genesis chapter 1 as it is speaking about God's uh, bringing forth all these things uh, related to creation in Genesis 1. We need to see our experience of Christ. Christ is subjectively related to his creation. Okay, now let's look at Roman numeral 3. 
It says 2 Corinthians 4, 6 indicates that the record in Genesis 1 is more instructive for the believer's experience of Christ than it is intended to be a record of creation. Let's read this verse together. Go. Because the God who said, out of darkness light shall shine, is the one who shined in our hearts to illuminate the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, the author here, Paul, uh, he's quoting a verse from Genesis 1, verse 3, where it says, God said, let there be light. But here he says, the God who said, out of darkness light shall shine, is the one who shined in our hearts to illuminate the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So right away, we see uh, that the record there in Genesis 1 has to be related. It has to be tied to our experience of Christ. When God spoke and said, let there be light, we need to realize this is touching the matter of our experience of Christ shining in our hearts, God shining in our hearts uh, to illuminate the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we want to go through the various uh, uh, days here in Genesis chapter 1. Let's go through them one by one and consider uh, in relation to our experience. Okay, A. A says the spirit, the word, the light, the separation of light from darkness, the separation of the waters above from the waters below the expanse, and the appearing of the dry land representing all the requirements for generating life. Okay, in the New Testament, when it talks about believers receiving the Lord, it uses this word regenerated. Peter uses that word. We've been regenerated, made alive in our spirit uh, with the eternal divine life of God. Uh, Now, all these matters that come up in these initial ten verses, the first ten verses of Genesis 1, are the requirements for generating life. Have you been regenerated? Has the divine, uncreated, eternal life of God been generated in your being? Yes. 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 (laughs) If you're a Christian, if you received him, yes. yes. We've been born again. We've been regenerated. Well, listen, that didn't just happen one day out of thin air. There were some requirements. Okay? The Spirit came. In verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God was there brooding over the face of the deep waters. There, in the darkness, the Spirit of God came. And, um, you know, we have a series of verses at the end of point A. I just want to read a couple of these. 1 Peter 1, 2, it says, "...chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father..." in the sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Multiplied. So here, the sanctification of the Spirit comes before obedience to Christ and faith in His redemption. This is the sanctifying Spirit coming 
preparing, operating, working, brooding, desiring to bring forth life. But the Lord comes as the Spirit to sanctify us, to work in our environment, to operate in our hearts, to prepare the way so that life could be generated. Um, Let me read it. Okay, the next point is the Word. The Spirit came, then the Word. God said, God said, let there be light. So the Word came, and then light came. Uh, Here's a verse, John 5, 24. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my Word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. The Word has to come. Actually, I should have put Romans 10:17 here. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word comes, and as the word comes, something of faith is generated in our being that we could believe and receive uh, and be born of God. Um, <clears throat> then what? Then light comes. Light comes. Second uh, Corinthians six fourteen talks about the separation of light from darkness. Once light comes, there's a separation between light and darkness. In Second Corinthians six fourteen, it says, "What fellowship does light have with darkness? There's no fellowship." So when the light comes, he said, "We'll call the light day, and the darkness will be called night." So there's a separation. And when the word first came to us, light came. You know, the words of God, they they bring light. They bring light. His word is a light to us, shining. And when that light comes, uh, maybe before that time, we thought we were just fine. We're doing okay. But we somehow, maybe we heard a gospel message, maybe we were reading the Bible, and the words began to shine. That's the rhema word. It began to shine in our being, began to shine in our hearts, and it began to convict us. And we began to realize, whoa, I thought I was pretty good. (laughs) But when I read this, or when I hear this gospel message, um, I'm getting convicted inside. There's something wrong with me, right? So the light comes and a separation begins to happen. Uh, And then it says there's a separation not only of light from darkness, but also a separation of the waters above from the waters below the expanse. So there's a separation of the earthly things from the heavenly things. We begin to realize, wow, uh, there's another realm. There's a heavenly realm. I've been in the earthly realm, but there's a heavenly realm. As the Lord is operating, as the light is coming and shining. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, it says, If therefore you were raised together with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things which are above, not on the things which are on the earth. Before this happened in our experience, everything was just earthly. It was common. But when the word came and the light began to shine, there was a separation. Even a separation in our being of darkness from light. Maybe we were in darkness in certain dark activities. 
we can no longer do those anymore. Uh, we realize there's another realm. There's a heavenly realm. We need to seek the things which are above, where Christ is. And then finally, um, the dry land appeared. You know, the earth was there, buried in the water. And on the third day, God said, let the dry land appear. And the waters receded, and the earth appeared. The dry land appeared. And then all manner of life was brought forth from the earth. Well, um, this uh, dry land appearing uh, signifies Christ coming up in resurrection on the third day to generate life in us. You know, the third day is very significant. That's the day of resurrection. And throughout the whole Bible, the land always typifies Christ. You consider the good land. That was, one of, that was the center of the Old Testament, that God would get his people into the good land. They eventually got there, and then they had a lot of failures. They got carried away out of the good land. Then they had to get brought back into the good land. That land is a picture of Christ. And Christ came out of death on the third day. And in his resurrection, through his resurrection, all of us got regenerated. 1 Peter 1.3 It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has regenerated us unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So all the requirements were there. The Spirit was brooding. The Word came. The light came. The separation of darkness from light. The separation of the earthly things from the heavenly things. And then the dry land appears and life can be generated. And that's what happened in our experience. You just check with your own experience uh, and you'll see it matches this. It matches this record here in Genesis 1. Praise the Lord. Then, uh, point B, it says the plant life came also at the end of the third day. After the earth came out of the water, the dry land appeared. Then the different kinds of plants uh, also came the grass, the herbs, the uh, the fruit trees bearing seed uh, in the fruit. Well, the plant life, which is the lowest form of life without consciousness, corresponding to the earliest stage of the divine life in a newly regenerated believer. Did you know that the Bible refers to you as a plant? <laughs> Let me read you a couple of these verses. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. Paul was there sowing seeds. When he was preaching the gospel, traveling from city to city, seeds were being sown, and he was planting Christ in the believers. And then Apollos came along and watered so that those seeds would sprout and begin to grow. And God is the one who causes the growth. And just a few verses later, he says that we are God's farm. So you're a plant initially when you get regenerated. And a plant has no consciousness. It has biological life, but it doesn't have any consciousness. So it's the lowest level of life. 
And it represents our initial stage of being regenerated uh, in the divine life and becoming a newborn babe in Christ. Okay, let me go on. Um, Then we have C, the sun, moon, and stars. Stronger, more solid, and more available lights as the first requirement for the growth of life. These signify Christ, the church, and the faithful believers. Okay, once, once the plant life is generated, once, we're, once we are regenerated with the eternal life of God, that's not it. That's not the end. We need to grow. We need to grow and mature to the point that there would be some expression. Right? If you, were, if you can remember back two weeks ago when Carrie was sharing, one of the key matters in Genesis 1 is that when man is made in the image and likeness of God to have dominion, this shows us what God wants. He wants an expression of himself, and he wants to be represented uh, by man with his dominion on the earth. Well, that requires growth. It requires that the divine life in us would grow and mature Uh, to the point that God could be expressed and represented uh, in an accurate way. So so we need some more particular light. The sun, the moon, the stars. You know, on, on the first day, God said, let there be light. That was kind of a general light. But here... The sun, the moon, and the stars are stronger. They're more solid. They're more definite. They're more available. And this is where the growth in life can begin to occur. You know, we we may know some believers who definitely are saved. They got regenerated maybe 20 years ago. But you check with them today and you realize, wow, there's been no growth. They haven't gone beyond uh, their initial salvation experience. We don't want to be like that, right? The Lord needs some to grow, to grow up unto maturity. Uh, so we need to get into the specific light, the specific light, the fourth day lights. Um, first of all, the sun signifies Christ. Let me read a verse here, Malachi 4.2. It says, But unto you who fear my name will the Son of Righteousness arise. That's S-U-N, capital S-U-N. The Son of Righteousness will arrive, uh, arise with healing in his wings. This is a prophecy concerning Christ, that he would come as the S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness, with healing in his wings. The wings there signifying the rays of his shining. When Christ came, you know, in Matthew 4, it says the people sitting in darkness saw a great light. This was Christ coming as the Son of Righteousness. We need to get to Christ and have personal, intimate contact with Christ. You know, when I first met this club uh, 26 years ago, my first day on campus, I started getting with some brothers, and they helped me to get to the sun. They helped me to practice calling on the name of the Lord, to practice pray reading the, the Word of God, to practice having a morning revival time 
All of these simple practices helped me get into the sunlight. They helped me get to the Son of Righteousness, to Christ Himself, to have a personal, intimate, affectionate contact with Him. This is to get into the definite, solid, substantial light on the fourth day. Uh, Then um, the moon signifies the church. You know, the moon, it doesn't have any light of its own. It reflects the light of the sun. And uh, a couple verses we have here. You'll read this on the back of the sheet in your small groups later tonight. But... In Revelation 1.20, it, it mentions that the churches are likened to lampstands. And lampstands are lit at night when it's dark. And we live in a dark age. And the church is here shining in the darkness. And in Philippians 2.15, it says that we would be blameless and guileless children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine as luminaries in the world. Well, the Greek word for luminaries here refers to luminaries that reflect the light of the sun, such as the moon and the planets and so forth. Well, the church is the assembling together of the called out ones. That's what the, the word church means, ecclesia. It means the assembling together of the called out ones. And the church should be a strong testimony of light in this dark age. The Lord even told us we are the light of the world, right? We need to be uh, beholding Christ and reflecting Christ. Just like the moon beholds the sun and reflects the sun. And then the stars signify the faithful believers. Let me just read one verse here. Daniel 12, 3. It says, And those who have insight will shine like the shining of the heavenly expanse, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The faithful believers are like shining stars in this dark night. Before the Lord returns, the age is getting darker and darker and darker and more corrupt. There needs to be a lot of shining stars. Faithful believers pursuing Christ, enjoying Christ, getting filled with Christ, and shining the light of Christ. And you know what? When you get around these kind of people, it stirs up your appetite. And the more your appetite for Christ is stirred up, the more you're going to grow. So, uh, if we want to grow in the divine life, we need to get to Christ. We need to, to get to the church. You know, where's the church? In the New Testament, uh, it says the church is the meeting of the believers. Day by day, house to house. That's why we like to get together so much. And we like to get together in the homes. And we like to get together on campus. We're always gathering together to enjoy the Lord together, to fellowship, to pray together, and so forth. If we want to grow in life, we need to have this habit of getting together with the believers to get the shining so that we could get the growth in life. Okay, let's move on. Uh, D. After the fourth day lights. Oh, let me just mention this, by the way. No one but God could have written this. You know, on, okay, earlier in chapter 1, 
when God said, let there be light, he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. One day. That was the first day. How could there be day and night, evening and morning, before there was the sun? No man could have written this. You know, Moses, Moses wrote this, right? <clears throat> but, and he was raised in all the educa- education of the Egyptians for 40 years. He had the top education. How could he have written this? It shows this is inspired by God. And this is for our experience. We can be regenerated just like the plants without any consciousness and go for the rest of our life with no growth. But God's purpose cannot be fulfilled until we get to the fourth day lights. You see? <clears throat> Praise the Lord for the Word of God. Okay, next on, on D, fish and animals in the sea. Animal life with the lowest consciousness corresponding to the first step in the believer's growth in life, having the power to overcome death and not be corrupted by the world. Um, well... The verse here, Matthew 4.19, this is where the Lord tells Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. That means uh, people are likened to fish in the sea. Did you know you were like a fish, Saul? (laughs) Yeah. When the Lord looks at you, you're like a fish. You're like a plant. You're also like a fish. But a fish has a little more development than a plant. It has consciousness. It has a consciousness of life. Plants don't have consciousness of life. But the animals in the sea have a lower consciousness. But it's the first step in the believer's growth in life. And, um, you know, the sea is very salty. Salt uh, kills things. It kills germs. It's a mild antiseptic. But the creatures in the sea, they can live in the sea. And they don't get salty. You know, if you ever eat some fish that you caught out of the ocean, it doesn't taste salty. Unless it's dead and it's been soaking in the salt water for a while. But when it's alive, if it has life inside, it doesn't get affected. It doesn't get influenced by the salt. And that's the result of further growth in the divine life. We can live in this world. You know, the world is full of corruption. It has a way to influence people and to corrupt people, uh, people that are dead, people that are not regenerated with the life of God. But when we get regenerated and we begin to have a little growth in life, we can be in the world without getting corrupted by it. And And then we come to the birds, a little bit higher level of consciousness. The birds have a higher consciousness than the fish and able, are able to transcend all the frustrations of the earth. <clears throat> Let me read uh, Isaiah forty thirty one. 
It says, Yet those who wait on Jehovah will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and will not faint. They will walk and will not become weary. The Bible likens us to birds, to eagles. So with a little bit more growth in life, not only can we overcome the death and the corruption in the world around us, we can transcend the corruption in the world like a bird. And then we move on to the F, the cattle, the animals on the earth. A higher life with a higher consciousness than fish or birds. Through further growth in the divine life, the believers in Christ are able to live on the earth a life that is useful for the fulfilling of God's will. As we begin to grow in the divine life, at a certain point, we have the uh, way... We have the life supply, the life capacity to do something on the earth for God. Uh, To carry out God's burdens on the earth. You'll read about this in your small groups. Uh, Then we move on finally to man. The last point. At the end of the sixth day, there was a council of the Godhead to consider. Let us make man in our image. And let them have dominion. So man is the highest created life with the highest consciousness, able to contain God, express God, and represent God with his dominion. This is the maturity in life. So ultimately, as we grow in life uh, and mature in life, we will be a people on the earth expressing God, representing God with his dominion, uh, having the maturity in life, and even matching Christ. Christ was the perfect man. All of creation was created not only in Christ and through Christ, but also unto Christ. Um, So ultimately... There has to be the growth in life in order for God to accomplish his purpose uh, and get his expression and get his representation through us. Amen.